it's so essential to the life and health of a church that we understand and practice and exercise our spiritual gift. The uh, verse of Scripture that we'll use primarily tonight is the 12th chapter of Romans, verse 8. If you want to turn to that verse, Romans 12, 8. Because in Romans 12, 8, uh, there is the larger list of the service gifts. Let me review now with you uh, as to what is a spiritual gift. Uh, most of the time, I think we function in the church on the basis of our innate and, uh, you know, our, just our native abilities. If you've got a, a guy that's just, just normally charismatic and, and extroverted and, and is a good salesman, he's a egocentric in the coping level, we put him, boy, in the place of leadership and we'll say, go get him, you know. And we find a guy that's just real dynamic, you know, and say, man, that guy's a teacher. Put him in this teaching. Put him in a Sunday school class, you know. Let him teach. Boy, you can get him here. And we operate on the basis of innate abilities rather than uh, recognizing spiritual gifts. And they are a thousand and million miles apart. A spiritual gift is that God-given ability or skill that allows the recipient, every believer to perform a function within the body, within the church, with ease, pleasure, and success. I must say that again. A spiritual gift is a God-given skill or ability that comes at conversion when the Holy Spirit comes to live in a person's life that enables that person, the recipient of that gift, to perform a function to the body and within the body with ease, pleasure, and success. Last week we talked about those support gifts, the upfront gifts, and we named them apostleship and prophecy, the gift of prophecy, the gift of evangelism. God gives to the church evangelists and pastor teachers, and He gives the gift of teaching. And all of these gifts are gifts where the, the recipient ministers to the body to equip the saints for service. Now the service gifts are those gifts that the recipient will use and manifest to minister in the body, to encourage. One shapes up the, the, the church, the saints, and the other ship him out so that one equips and the other encourages. And I want us to look tonight at these service gifts and we'll go as far as we can in the list of them and, and stop uh, when everybody gets tired, you know. I can tell right away. Some of you are nodding off already. Um, most of the gifts that God has given to the church are not visible gifts. Now you think about that a minute, and it fits, it makes sense, because most of the organs of the body are never seen. Now you've never seen your heart probably, but I dare you to live without it, you know. And you've never seen your lungs probably never seen them, maybe in an x-ray, but you can't live without them. Most of the organs of the body are never seen. And most of the function of the church, hear this, most of the function of the church is done by people who have service gifts, and those gifts are really never seen. They're not up front, and they have no special recognition, and yet you cannot function without them. 
Well, let's just take a look at them. The first is the gift of administration. In the the 8th chapter of Romans, it talks about he who leads with diligence. And, And the idea is that of leading. It's administration. It means this word in the Greek means to stand before or to place before or to preside over. And it is a position involving superintendency. The person who has the gift of administration is a person who is gifted as a committee chairman with all ease to preside over that responsibility. Now you've seen those, haven't you? I can name some tonight in this room that have the gift of administration. They are excellent leaders. That is, they stand before and lead as committee chairmen with, with, as committee chairman with tremendous gift and ease, and they seem to enjoy it. They like it. There is a second use of that word. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. And it's not the same word as the one that's found in Romans 12, 8. It's a word in the original language that means steersman of a ship. It's a picture of a man who is an expert in the midst of a storm to keep his cool and to filter out the legitimate from the illegitimate. He's a person who in the midst of pressure and difficult circumstances, when all around him is in confusion and turmoil, is able to disseminate and decipher and and, and filter out the legitimate from the illegitimate. Excellent leadership. Now there is an example, and I want to show it to you. It's found in Titus, the little epistle to Titus. Would you turn to that little book? It's over there after um, uh, Timothy, right before Philemon, back there in your New Testament. And the example is in in the first chapter, verse 5 and following. And Paul says to Titus, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you might set in order what remains, and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Now Titus had the gift of administration, and the apostle Paul left him in Crete in order to exercise that gift, and the exercising of it, the example of the exercise of it was that he set in order those things that were there. He, he organized and presided over the gift of administration. Secondly, is the gift of exhortation. It's found in the 12th chapter, verse 8. The gift of exhortation. Now this gift is very dear to me because... Um, the people that have have meant the most in my life, as I look back in reflection, are the people who have exercised the gift of exhortation to me. The word here in in the original language is the same word that's used for Holy Spirit, strangely enough. It's a word that means to call alongside of, to give assistance and help. It is a person who is adept at a personal ministry of encouragement or challenge or strengthening. He's a person that can just get alongside of you and encourage you and challenge you and strengthen you 
Oh, how these people are needed and how vital they are to the ministry of a church. And at the heart of this gift is the, is the picture of patience, a person who is just able to stay there and love and encourage and strengthen others. Now, let me, let me contrast uh, to show you the contrast uh, b- between a teacher and an exhorter so that you can get a picture of this gift. Now, I think sometimes when we hear the, the term exhortation, we're thinking about somebody who can get up and give a good pep talk, you know, a locker room talk like the Cowboys needed today, and really fire them up, you know, and just really encourage them. And, and we use that uh, as, the ex- as the gift of exhortation. It's really not that at all. Now, here is the teacher, as we mentioned last week. He's a person who is able to to, uh, drive home specific truth and communicate facts. He is able to compile those facts and communicate them. An exhorter is one who knows how to help you put those facts into life. He's a person who can come to you and help you to see how to take what you already know and make application in life of it. We were sitting around talking last week about uh, a, a preacher that we know, the staff, and I, we were all talking about this preacher, probably the greatest preacher in, in Southern Baptist life today, 36 years old, just a tremendous uh, expositor and, and preacher. And we were talking about how that man, how profound he was, and how he could dig into the Scripture and find truth, you know, that was just, you know, beneath the surface that nobody could really, you know, the ordinary guy could never see. And we all concluded that that man had this tremendous ability to preach that truth and fact, but was weak in the ability to help you get it from where you are into life. Now, in the church, you have those people who are able to declare that truth and, and, you know, get that truth together. And then you have those people behind the scenes who are just able in a quiet way to help you take that truth and apply it. You know what happens, though, a lot of times when that person comes to us to try to help us to apply truth to life? We're offended by them and intimidated by them. Why Why don't you tend to your own business, we might, you know, often say. Let me give you an example of an exhorter. Turn to the 18th chapter of Acts. Okay, Acts 18. We're, we're looking at meanings and examples in the, in the outline. So we're at verse 24 of Acts 18. Somebody held up a sign there at the back and said, I'm tired. Verse 24. <laughs> now a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately, 
Now, there is an example of exhortation. They took him aside and said, we're going to show you how that Word of God is applied to life. It doesn't end there. Look at verse 27. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him. Look at that and underline it. And wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he helped greatly those who had believed through grace. And there are three examples there of the gift of exhortation. Now, uh, you know, where are we going with all of this? I, I'm trying to paint you such a, uh, such a graphic and, 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 and awesome picture of the church and what it, what it would be like if everybody, all of us in one unified effort, desired to manifest our spiritual gifts, how it would bless this world, how it would bless us, and what a difference it would make in the church. Look at what happened there. Had it not been for the exercise of exhortation, this man would probably have never been used of God in the Christian church. All right, number three, the gift of faith. Now, would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going, to get, I'm going to read verse 9 of chapter 12. Let me back up and go to 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit. Now I want, I want you to watch this, this, this right quickly. Most of us... We, we, we all believe, I'm sure, that without faith it's impossible to please God. And everybody talks about the fact that we all have to have faith, you know. And we say, you know, we just need more faith and we encourage the people to have faith in God and to trust in God. So that um, it doesn't seem possible to us that, it could, that, that, that there could be a gift of faith that is over and above that faith that everyone should have in the Lord. But there is a gift of faith. Not everybody has the gift of faith. Now watch this. The gift of faith is the ability to lay hold of God, on God's promises, lay hold of God's promises for results beyond the power of man to achieve. The ability to lay hold of the promises of God that are far beyond the power of man to achieve. Now, uh, some have had the gift of faith. There is an example of it in Acts chapter 27. I want to look at that example, and then I will come back and say a few things about this. Acts chapter 27 beginning at verse 21. And when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice 
and not to have set sail for Crete and incurred this damage and loss. I told you so. And yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there shall be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night an angel of God, of the God to whom I belong, whom I serve, stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. The gift of faith is the gift that lay holds on, lays hold on is the challenge of that building right out here. I think that some of us believe that we are, that we are coming to a time, a critical time in our church where we can really trust God for a miracle. And when God gives us that miracle, it will be the, the open door to the most marvelous things this church has ever known. And it has to do with paying off that building out there. Now, there, there are, there, when, that, when the doors of that building are going to be open, that new addition, we're going to have a debt that will be in the neighborhood of a million dollars. Now, I don't suppose that there are very many of us tonight who would be willing to say, I'll, uh, you know, I'll pay off that million-dollar debt. I mean, that would be pretty, pretty awesome. And if that, when the doors of that church are opened, that debt is paid off and we have to borrow no money, that would be a miracle, wouldn't you say that? That would be a miracle. What if that happened? What if somehow, in a miraculous way, God just provided the resources for that building without us having to borrow the money. What if, now, now, now catch the glimpse of this vision, what if we never even thought in terms of borrowing the money, we never mentioned that again, but we lived on the basis of the faith principle that when we got into that building, it would be paid for. I mean, we didn't even talk in terms of borrowing money. When we got together, we didn't even discuss it in terms of borrowing money. What if there was somebody in this congregation who stood up and said, I believe it's going to be just like God said it. He's revealed to me that that building's going to be paid for when it was open, and we recognize that that man had the gift of faith. Wouldn't that be an exciting thing? Let me tell you how that's happened before. I've heard John Bassanio, and many of you, uh, if you don't worship him, you know, you at least revere him. You know, he's as a kind of a human God. He's a tremendous preacher and a great leader of Southern Baptist. He says that he has the gift of faith. Now, he has to have the gift of faith. I mean, the guy, what he's done down there in Houston, what God has done in his life is just phenomenal. And I, I, I just, I, I'm convinced that he does have the gift of faith. You know when he subscribes his budget every year on the 4th of July? Because he believes that at the very time when it's impossible to do it, that's when it needs to be done. So we can say it is of God. And I have seen and heard his witness, the testimony of that man, that God just blesses his life again and again because he's able by faith to lay hold on those 
promises of God with a result that is accomplished what man can never accomplish. Now, not everybody has the gift of faith. Is there anybody who does who would stand to say, I believe God has said to me, it will be done? Wouldn't that be amazing? And then the burden would be on the church to say, that man has a gift of faith and he's laying hold for us as a church on those things that are beyond man's power to achieve. And we'd follow him, right? Now, if you went down to the bank to borrow some money tomorrow to pay off a debt, you'd go down there to that bank and the banker would say, all right, I'm going to loan you this amount of money if you've got this amount of collateral. I'm going to loan you X dollars on the basis of X collateral. And, and, and not too many bankers, perhaps there might be some, would loan money without collateral. The collateral is what backs it up and guarantees its payment. Now this is what God says to the man of faith. He says, I'm going to give you my promises on the collateral of your faith. I'm going to give you a miracle. The collateral you have is faith to trust me to do it. Now, it's a marvelous gift that the Holy Spirit has given some within the church. The gift of faith to lay hold on the promises of God. And the history of the Christian church is replete with examples of men who have just lived in faith on God's promises. George Mueller, Hudson Taylor, and many others. Now, I want us to stop right there and uh, pick with up with the service gifts next week. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to investigate and consider your gifts. Perhaps you haven't the support gifts, but the gift of administration the gift of exhortation. Are you one of those persons that is just adept the personal ministry of encouragement? Or are you one of those rare individuals God has given the church that has the gift of faith? And if you have some word from God concerning a miracle of faith, I'd like to hear about it. I'd like to pray with you about it. I'd like to share it with this body, this church. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the way you've gifted the church, the way you've gifted individuals. And Lord, I pray that we'll discover and begin to manifest our spiritual gifts so that the body of Christ can indeed be the body of Christ in Durant, Oklahoma. So when the world sees First Baptist Church, it would say, there walks the Lord Jesus on earth. Bless this time, Father, of decision that's come, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there are three kinds of decisions we'll ask of you in three invitations. The first is to come and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, receiving Him the gift of eternal life. Like these who have done the last Sundays, coming to say, I've come to trust Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Second invitation is for you to come and place your life in the church. An opportunity for you to be a part of God's church, God's body, Christ's body in the world. And we'll never be complete if God has, your, has a plan for you to be here. We'll never be complete and God will never be able to use you effectively. 
if you're not with us. Or maybe you just need to rededicate your life to walk with the Lord in a closer relationship, a personal relationship. Whatever God leads you to do, we'll do it right now. In the first stanza of this invitation, we'll ask you to stand and come.